When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Draft Vice. Uh, as I, Walter, it is Shane, the Shane, T H E E underscore Shane underscore MCM on Instagram. And we got Ricky back. And uh, if you want to follow the podcast, you can follow it at DraftVice on Twitter, at DraftVice underscore football on Instagram. Really check out the Instagram. We got a lot of new stuff going on over there. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Brojo Death Punch. That's B-R-O-J-O. Death is in the end of life. And punch. Yum. Anyway, so uh, welcome back. Uh, this week we are talking fantasy, folks. And we are talking expert consensus rankings and sometimes manipulating those. And then we're also going to talk about some of our big targets that we're <laughs> drafting uh, in the fantasy drafts. So... We, we were talking about this the other day. There's a lot of guys who are higher up on some expert consensus rankings that it's like, why are they there? Right. And uh, you might want to be a little closer. So. And the inconsistency of some of it, too. Yeah. Like like you might see sudden, how they rank a quarterback, and then you're like, yeah, but why are all their receivers so low? You would think that they would correlate to some degree. Yeah. It's almost <clears throat> they place bias at certain positions and almost forget, like, who's throwing it to them. And to explain expert consensus rankings, fantasy football is so popular, and there's a lot of pundits and websites and you know media outlets for advice. So who get you know labeled the moniker of expert, which a lot of them are. So what happens is expert consensus rankings is basically the mean of where all these experts are ranking them, and how some of them don't make sense is what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, like you have uh, you have ESPN, which you know, yeah, they have Matthew Barry. They also have uh, Field Yates. Yeah, they have like five different Stefania Bell, and they all give out their rankings. And some of them are a merger of those those groups. So you'll have somebody who might be a little bit higher, but then you're playing the the app, and you're like, wait, I saw uh, Matthew Barry was really high on Corey Davis. Why is he all of a sudden very? Why is the expert rankings very low? And then. But, uh, the other, like my favorite one is called the fantasy footballers. That's another podcast with guys like Mike Wright and then things like that. Adam Azer from CBS sports is really good, but you, like some people, it's so drastic. The difference one person will say my breakout for this year is this person. And then another expert will label this person a bust. So it's just like, you have to take each with a grain of salt and then find that mean, which is where ECR comes in. Mm hmm. And uh, but the good thing with ECR is sometimes you can manipulate it. That you know where these rankings are, and a lot of the, uh, especially with mock drafts, they affect. A lot of people are mock drafting right now, or they are drafting. And if you go on auto draft, you're now drafting based off this ECR. Mm -hmm. So now people think that that's the value of a player, based off of you know the ADP in those mock drafts and fantasy leagues. So you can hop on there and see like, oh, Corey Davis is going in the sixth round or uh, Mike Williams is going in the seventh round. And you're like, well, I think he's a fifth rounder. And you see, oh, wait a second, it's because of their ECR. You might be able to sit there and say, all right, well, since I know ESPN has them this far down, then I can go, all right, well, maybe I'm willing to take them around higher. And there's just some of them that, it, you know, the, the rankings don't exactly make sense. Uh, some of the guys that I pulled up were uh, Cooper Cup was uh, – He's currently going at pick 49, uh, 40, 42 on uh, ESPN, and I feel like that's a little high. For what format? Uh, PPR. You said what, 49? Uh, no, 42. And it's, the, and CBS then Sports the, has him at 42 also in the overall rankings. Yeah. So Consistency. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> between two different sources. But here's the big problem with that is you get a lot of these consistency, like these ECRs, and then I'll, like, I think what ends up happening is it kind of creates a group thing. Yeah. You get like 20 <clears throat> experts who say, Cooper Cup in the fourth round or Cooper Cup in the fifth round, and then you get like one or two who are saying, well, I wouldn't take Cooper Cup until at least the sixth because like, you know, torn ACL, coming mm-hmm. off an injury... Uh, there is a possibility that that offense takes a step back. Lots of mouths to feed in that offense as well. Yeah, but if you're also saying that that offense is going to be really good, it's a potential that they're like if that those guys will end up playing really well. And you can lots of mouths to feed is kind of a weird argument sometimes because it's there's lots of mouths to feed. But we've seen players like we saw last year. We saw two uh, top twenty receivers from the Rams with both, and Robert Woods was a top twelve receiver. And Brandon Cooks was a top 15 receiver. We've seen it with Minnesota Vikings. We've seen it with Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. So there's usually, like, I know that the, that argument can make sense, but a lot of times it's it's hard to tell. Like, that's the, you know, that was one of my big questions with the Lions. A lot of people seem to be down on Marvin Jones hmm. and up on Kenny Galladay. Yeah. But Marvin Jones is the clear, like, 1A, 1B, or at least the number two receiver over there. But if you look on, uh, ESPN, he's you know their expert rankings have him uh, in the 80s, like in the high 70s, and I know that they have a couple of experts over there that have him even lower than that, like close to the hundreds. Not as a 97 was the, the the spot where some of the experts had him, which I feel like is a little low for a guy who two years ago was a, a top 10 receiver in fantasy. Now maybe he overperformed, but he when he was playing, when he wasn't injured, he would play consistently. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of a couple things. Number one, maybe he was above what his typical value would be, and he's kind of overperformed. And people take that into account along with their projection for Kenny Galladay Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people think Kenny Galladay has the potential to be a number one receiver, a standalone number one receiver anyway, or he showed flashes, and they might be jumping on that potential. And then on top of that, when you talk about how much one person's production will affect the other person's, it's kind of scheme dependent and what their coaches are. Cause if you look at Sean McVay, you might not be worried about the fact that they're able to spread the ball around to a lot of their weapons. Cause they're going to get all the weapons they can involved. Cause that's just his mindset. He's very creative in, in doing that. Others will kind of feed the hot hand over and over and over again. And you know, I don't know if a lot of these people are looking at Kenny Galladay to pop like a top five level receiver where you would mm-hmm. design whole playbooks around them. And it would leave someone like Marvin Jones kind of on the wayside. Who's, probably benefited from the fact that they didn't really have other number one receivers and on maybe a couple other teams he would kind of just fade it into the background well that's the reverse of the too many mouths to feed argument right it's the oh well there's one really good guy he's going to take all the targets and so the other guy's not going to do very well at all right and it's kind of you just don't know you never know the answer to that question everybody's saying with the lions you have it's going to be a run heavy offense they're going to target Kenny Galladay. Um, it's, it is going to be a lot deeper routes, probably, but with deeper routes, if you're only throwing it, you know, he gets eight targets a game. You know, if he gets three catches for 80 yards mm-hmm. because he's running these deeper patterns. And, and Marvin Jones does one thing really well. He's good at that 50 50 jump ball maneuver yes. that, like, it's just, he's kind of open when he's not open and seems to get get his like his body positioning to the the corner get get it up and it's almost like he's a basketball player mm-hmm. when he's playing so with i just uh 
with the expert consensus rankings, I, I feel like with the, you know, like, again, there's one argument that you're saying, oh, there's too many mouse to feed, and the other argument is they're oh, well, they're just gonna go ahead and go straight to the number one guy, mm-hmm. and the rever- uh, and with the Rams, it's we've seen them happen, we've seen it happen where they had two or three guys be fantasy relevant, mm-hmm. and in fact, last year, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Robert Woods at the beginning of the year were fantasy relevant. Yes. Um. And I think that's part of the problem of trying to predict what the next year is. Sometimes you can, and sometimes you're trying to make a calculated estimate. You're trying to take a risk of, all right, I don't think this guy's going to do well because, you know, with me, it's Cooper Cup has a torn ACL that he's coming off of. It happened less than a year ago. You're trying to, his his role in that offense is he's trying to make lateral movement. He's trying to make uh, hard cuts. He's trying to, you know, he's a, he's a route runner. Mm-hmm. He's not He's not just running a deep ball and going straight down the field all the time. Right. So when you're trying to make a, you know, you're trying to fake to the outside and go in, or even if you're just trying to make a, a lateral, like you're just trying to move from going straight down the field to all of a sudden cutting in and, you know, in a dig route or a, a crosser, or again, if you're even trying to, even on a slant, you're still making a lot of varied movements that you're not just going in a straight line. Right. Which coming off an ACL is a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a big cut guy, though. That's like... Yeah a lot of what these slack guys do but this is where like it's not necessarily we're not just ranking wide receivers though like you could compare him to other wide receivers yeah but now we're taking into account the whole draft Mm -hmm. if he's ranked 42nd that means he's going in the fourth fifth round yeah and that also means that there's running backs that he's going ahead of right Mm -hmm. or you're just even an elite tight end if you want one you know they're usually there at that time I don't like drafting tight end that early. I'm just saying, depends what your your roster format is or what your strategy is. But I just I wouldn't. I don't know if I would want to spend draft capital like that that early. Especially on a guy coming off of an injury. Exactly. Or on a guy that's going to be on what's predicted to be a bad offense. Yeah. So. And there is that's in reference to Galladay, not Cooper Cup. Yeah. Well, even if you think that. Cooper Cup could be on a bad offense. There's a, there is an argument there that hey, they might take a step back. They you know might got it figured out from the Super Bowl and people getting to watch that. Is Sean McVay gonna scheme it differently this time? Is he gonna figure out a new way to go ahead and beat everybody else? I like how Sean McVay schemes things because he seems to get his receivers, specifically Cup and Woods, matched up on linebackers all the time. But here's here's the thing though. We are thinking about the Sean McVay that had a healthy Todd Gurley. The offense regressed significantly towards the end of the year and in the postseason mm-hmm. once it became he got written out of the game script kinda or had a very limited role. Mm-hmm. Which is a huge, huge, huge red flag for Gurley this year. And there's been kind of some smoke signals going up. They re signed Malcolm Brown. Yeah. They they drafted Daryl Henderson. They're it's almost like they're overstating how healthy his knee is. Like, no, he's explosive. He's fine. There just seems to be a lot of red flags and smoke signals that they are hoping he's okay, but they're preparing that he's not going to be fully okay. And it's going to be interesting to see how much the offense changes because of that. Yeah. And go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, and I, I have noticed that they're kind of putting him on a veteran's regiment. So the people who are making the argument to keep, to keep Todd Gurley relatively higher, it's you know, they're going to manage his snaps. That's why they brought in these people, is in case somebody goes down, they have a backup plan. Uh, you know, he does have arthritis in his knee, and you can kind of see that he's starting to have, uh, like, these kind of bone chips that are coming out. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue that 
might be manageable over time, but we've seen players play with that right now. And actually, for some reason, all the Georgia running backs seem to have knee issues, whether it's Sony Michelle, who came out last year and again, had a similar knee issue, had arthritis in his knee. And in fact, it's a, a very similar issue. Chubb had a gross one in college. That's what I was thinking is Chubb. And that's the one thing that ever gets mentioned with Chubb is that he had that horrible knee injury. And I, I know that they've medically cleared him and said he's fine, but it's not something that ever gets really brought up for people who were afraid of running backs with knee injuries in the past. Same Dalvin Cook came out, you know, Dalvin mm -hmm. Cook's not from Georgia, but another running back who came out and was, they kind of gave him some red flags uh, medically, and then he tore his ACL that year. Yeah. And zooming, zooming out to a bigger picture here on how you approach fantasy football in general, these little nuances and all these multiple unknown variables that we're talking about, these if statements and whatnot, yeah. this is why we look at expert consensus rankings because they try to take, you know, the hard numbers that we have and kind of get some sort of an aggregate together. But there's so many factors that make it sort of unpredictable. Is the coach in a good mood that day? Do they run this scheme? Do they get along with this person? How are they going to fit with these people? Their opponents, their strength of schedule. Are they playing better defenses that are better against press or whatever it might be? And, and I'm just talking, you know, general terms. But this is why I think you do have to take into account that um, you can look at these expert rankings to get an idea, but then you also kind of have to go off your own individual analysis of what works for you, what's worked for you in the past, and uh, also the league you're in. You might be dealing with people that, you know, just draft running backs, and they're they they have a strategy. You know your your league that they go for quarterbacks, or they they look for them in the waiver wire. You right. know, other people are wide receiver heavy. You know, well, that's what I'm, but that's what I mean. So that might adjust your rankings that won't line up with what the expert consensus rankings are or what everybody's, you know, number one overall pick is because you might also know ahead of time you're drafting at the bottom of the round. Well, I'm just going to take Saquon Barkley off the board from the beginning because he's not going to fall to me. So this just makes it that much more complicated, but it's important to take it to account. Like you have to do your own analysis as well. Yeah, and it's all risk assessment. Now there's certain risk assessments that sometimes are they kind of go both ways it's so many mouths to feed but are they taking away coverage like mm -hmm. uh you know like in the situation of julio jones and calvin ridley right julio jones is such a big dominant threat calvin ridley's getting a lot of balls and calvin ridley is a good player right good route runner does have some drop issues but if he's getting open and he's only going up against single coverage he's open a lot and traditionally the number two receivers on that team have done pretty well mm -hmm. even though they have a guy like julio jones you would expect them to force the ball to but matt ryan this goes back to the type of quarterback matt ryan is he will see the field and spread the ball around yeah. you might have other quarterbacks that are kind of heavy on their number one target and fall in love with that connection but because of the situation they're in matt ryan's more of kind of spreading the ball around going through his progressions going through his reads you know kind of by the book it benefits those people in that number two spot so when you look at the whole picture it's not that crazy to think that Calvin Ridley would be worth that pick and not worry about Julio Jones, uh, you know, mitigating his production. Yeah, and it's all percentages game. Nobody's getting 100% of the targets. No. Right. So if Julio Jones is getting 30, 35%, and then a gargantuan amount. Yeah, that's a high level, but that's usually that's about the highest amount you see from a receiver. But if that guy's getting a third of the the targets, not everybody else is getting another third. A lot of times, it's you're getting fifteen percent from this guy, five percent from this guy, maybe another twelve percent from the running backs. And running backs are getting a lot more targets in this in the game nowadays too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but for like your first five picks, though, which guys like like that's when your risk assessment needs to be the highest because everything after that is is po trade 
potential mm-hmm. later on may, might not even stay on your roster so your first five picks that's when risk assessment is the most important because mm-hmm. that's going to be like the core of your team if you want to use a high draft pick like that on somebody like cup i get it but like there's going to be other people i feel like like calvin ridley is going after him so is tyler boyd dj, yeah. DJ moore those guys guys like that are getting drafted after him Guys who were wide receiver twos last year and are also only very early on in the league and aren't coming off of injury. Right. And he's getting he's getting drafted in the same round as guys like Aaron Jones, uh, David Montgomery, you know, a week ago. Now he's moving up. But I'm just saying there's there's solid running. Mark Ingram is going in that range. It, it all depends, one, what your roster needs. Like if you have two running backs already and a wide receiver, then I understand taking cup. But if you – it all depends. Whatever gives your team the best chance of winning should always be what you draft rather than just whoever's ranked highest, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I know we were talking about somebody yesterday, Chris Carson, has been going, uh, I think, on the ECR. He's 33 on ESPN, and it seems to be mm-hmm. there are a couple of their experts seem to be in that same range. Yep. I don't have him nearly that high because I just don't think he's that mm-hmm. – I, I don't think he's that impressive of a running back. I don't think he – He's not a good mover. He's he's like a powerful guy. Mm-hmm. He has a jump cut, but like his vision is good. But his athleticism to make those those cuts, his athleticism to like he could see the hole, but the hole closes up before he even hits it. So then he's just powering through. I think he was, he was a top fifteen running back last year, though, wasn't he? Like twelve or some shit. He was. And now you're trying to make the assessment of what's the odds that this guy become. This is where risk assessment really comes in. Is what are the odds this guy's going to be, say he's a fifth, top 15 last year, what are the odds he's going to be a top five? And I don't see him being a top five running no. back. But are there guys in that same range that have a, ch- a chance to be a top five? What about a guy like Sony Michelle? He's on mm-hmm. he's on a high-powered offense. He's got Tom Brady. Maybe the Patriots take a step back, or maybe they lean on him. Or maybe they put him in a more rotational role. Same thing with Aaron Jones. You know, is he, you know, is he, first off, Aaron Jones has a couple of question marks. You know, do we know that he's going to be the lead back, or is it going to be Jamal Williams and him in a timeshare? And what happens with that if uh, you know if he misses a pass protection? Is are they going to take him out of the game? Well, you don't know with Lafleur. All I'm saying, he is quite obviously the number one running back on that team mm-hmm. from weeks eight through fourteen last year. He was the number five running back in fantasy. I know that because I had him on my team because yeah. I picked him up late. If he should be the number one running back there. All the talents there. He does have uh, an injury concern right now, like he's dealing with something. But just I feel like he's going way too late for the talent that he has and the team he's on. Because he faced a uh, – when your quarterback's Aaron Rodgers, a defense isn't going to stack the box on your offense. Yeah. So he faced he faced eight men or more in the box only on 13% of his rushes last year, which is – ridiculously good for fantasy purposes so he's going to get a lot of opportunity and matt lafour does like to run the ball because he uses the passing to scheme it and to hide it so and that's actually the other argument is hey you're getting the guy carrying the mailbag for for aaron Rodgers. like having mm-hmm. anybody attached to aaron Rodgers, especially the guy who might get a couple of carries in the red zone and aaron Rodgers gets it in the red zone quite a bit now he's also that off in the past aaron Rodgers has been consistently throwing it in the red zone but like you're saying before with LaFleur there, they might call plays differently. Also, Aaron Jones can catch it. Mm-hmm. He's not an elite-level speed running back. He doesn't have 
there's like maybe 10 guys who I think are better players than him in the league, but he's got a great, uh, and there's some situations you don't want to make true assessments on, but there is stuff there that makes you go, I will, I, that's where the risk level goes up. It's, hey, this is a running back, but he could be a top five running back just based off the situation alone. And the fact that he's with Aaron Rodgers, and he he does have good vision and good power. Yeah, and you brought up a great point. His stock goes way up when you're with a, cal- a quarterback of the caliber of Aaron Rodgers. Anytime you have a great quarterback, that and it doesn't matter who the running back is, right? Yeah. They're going to benefit from it. I mean, I, I th- the Patriots they always have a solid running back, whoever it is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a perfect example. I was even going to use the example of a throwback a little bit to Peyton Manning. No, Sean Moreno was. Nobody wanted No. Moreno on their team. It wasn't really putting up any numbers. But when you mix Peyton Manning in and calling audibles and putting them in the right situation, you know his stock went way up. He was a a valuable fantasy pick during that season with the Broncos. And that's just an example of like when you have somebody there, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and well, even No. Uh, no Moreno, but also Monte Ball mm-hmm. and C.J. Anderson. I mean, that's why yep. he's even got he's ever made any kind of money is because he was the running back who was with. Eli Manning and a couple of years ago he was a top 10 pick yeah or a top uh, two round pick in fantasy um Ricky I know you're a Denver fan how do you feel about Cortland Sutton Cortland Sutton going in uh, like the 95 to 110 range I mean it makes sense to me I understand because look there's a lot of ifs there yeah I do think he's a good fit for what Joe Flacco does well Mm-hmm. In terms of throwing the deep ball, he's a high thrower, high and outside. Not the most accurate, but you know Sutton's got you know long arms. He can maybe correct for some of it. I think he's a better fit than some of the other receivers with Joe Flacco. But it's still, I don't know how I feel about Joe Flacco. So I think it's uh, it's understandable where they'd have him ranked. Now, where I would take a little bit of issue is there's some people that have Deshaun Hamilton ranked ahead of him or around the same as him. Yeah. And I don't know that I agree with that. I, I see it on CBS Sports from a couple of the experts there. And unless they're assuming that Emmanuel Sanders goes down with an injury again because there are concerns about that, that is the only time I can see Deshaun Hamilton kind of filling his shoes and that role. Um, but other than that, I mean, Cortland Sutton might take over as that big play, red zone, deep ball target. True number one guy. Yes. I think the only if is Flacco. Yeah, well, and that's a big if. And yeah. I think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of Denver players aren't getting a lot of hype. But we've seen guys have some fantasy relevance with Flacco. We saw it mm-hmm. with John Brown last yep. year before Lamar Jackson came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it sometimes with tight ends. That's why I think uh, you were a big fan of Noah Font. And, uh, I like Noah Font a lot, man. He's good. Yeah, so do I. But I'm, I'm not a big fan of rookie tight ends. That's right. yeah. He'll look good. He'll be good real football-wise, but this is a fantasy you know, discussion. Fantasy wise, I don't like rookie tight ends, and I don't like tight ends on questionable at best offenses. And we're not sure how that tight end rotation is going to play right. out because they have a few tight ends they drafted in, within the first three rounds in the past couple of years on that team. You know, I think Jake Butt's still coming back, and you have uh, uh, Hireman and a couple other guys that they're, they're trying to get into the mix. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where Noah Fant is on the depth chart right now. I believe he's three or two, but um, you would hope until that becomes clear cut. It's not really worth the risk high up. And I, I just think Denver's going to be a conservative offense, which usually doesn't bode well for wide receivers. Yeah, I think they'll be run heavy. Yeah, but I do. I love, I love Cortland Sutton coming out of SMU. Uh, I was hoping we would find a way to draft him last year, but he's he's really good. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot. But, yeah, like you said, with Flacco, um, 
besides too, if Denver isn't winning as much, I want, and if Flacco's struggling, if people are going to start clamoring for Falk to come in or whatever. Drew Lock. Drew Lock. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm thinking, but it's like one syllable words. Yeah, but also with uh, Cortland Sutton, he shows some of that that special ability. He's good, dude. He's he, he's gonna be good. And he's taking a leadership role. You could tell. I mean. It's not always good to have fights in camp, but I like the competitiveness that him and Emmanuel Sanders, he wants to jump into that leadership role, and he's getting on people. Now, the question is, is he Devontae Parker or is he A.J. Green? Like, is he somewhere in that spectrum of guys? Because he he shows some of that true athleticism and that ability to just pick the ball up over somebody's head and keep Mm -hmm. going. And I've seen that before with Devontae Parker. Yeah. But then Devontae Parker never turned into anything. Yeah, wow. But then again, who was throwing to Devontae Parker? Ryan Tannehill. But now he's got Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen, so... He'll, he's a sleeper candidate for this year. He's always a sleeper candidate, though. I hear that every year, There's, but it's yeah. just... Eventually, I, I was though, being facetious, but... Yeah, because, like, Devontae Parker, I don't... But it's also a head thing, too, I feel like, Yeah, sometimes. it's a confidence... It becomes a confidence issue if you never fulfill that, and you hear people always saying that you're a bust or that you're this or that. It'll fuck with you. Yeah. And when you're changing coordinators and you're changing quarterbacks and you're never getting chemistry, and now they have different uh, schemes that they want you to run. Uh, a couple of other guys that I had on the, the list was actually like uh, Brandon Cooks is relatively low. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, Brandon Cooks. Or? Yeah, Brandon Cooks. Um, they have him going about from I think it was like thirty-eight to forty-seven, and I feel like that's kind of relatively low for a guy who I I would take him in the third round. He's a borderline top twelve receiver. I understand there's some worries because they, they think he's going to play that distraction role. But, I mean, he was there last year, and he was a top 15 receiver. Mm-hmm. And he's done it three years in a row on three different teams. He's yeah. got over 1,000 yep. yards receiving. So, like, uh, with Brandon Cooks, I'm always a little shocked that people kind of still doubt him. Yeah, I, I think – I mean, I think he's the clear-cut best receiver on that team. I just think that, you know – they talent, yeah. Right, and they do spread the ball around, so they'll do all do very well. But the question is, like, you know – that does become a real thing at a point where he's like, all right, he might be a, a number 15 or a number 13, whatever he is in terms of like points for receivers in the league. But Cooper Cup and Robert Woods might be right there. Yeah. And, you know, for him to be five, you know, they're just probably not sure that those guys are going to be, you know, they might take away from that. And, you know, so like I said, they spread the ball around. But when you get to the extremes, is he ever going to reach the extreme? And I, I think the. With me and Brandon Cooks, I feel like there's some running backs that get put ahead of Brandon Cooks yeah. in general that I feel like, are you sure you really want to take that guy instead of Brandon Cooks when right. Brandon Cooks has that ability to be at least a top 12 receiver and that running back maybe doesn't have that mm-hmm. top 10 or top 5 quality. That's why I tend to lean heavy early the first two rounds on running back. Like, and then I, I try my my target for running backs are guys who can be that top five to ten guy. Put it this way: What did you say Brandon Cooks was ranked? Forties? Yeah. Yeah, and would we have Chris Carson? I know CBS has him in the thirties. Yeah. Would you take Brandon Cooks or Chris Carson? I would take Brandon Cooks, yeah. and I wouldn't even think twice about it. So, uh, like I said, it's to your point there about the running backs being ranked ahead of them. There's a case. You also have guys like Mark Ingram, fifty-first. That's right after them. Yeah. So. That's a tough pick between Ingram and Cooks. I never draft Ingram because every time I do, it's bad luck. <laughs> so, But I know he's so talented and he's going to be on a run-heavy team. But I'm just saying, yeah, I would – like PPR, I would be less trigger-happy on Cooks. But in standard, absolutely, I would take him. 
Yeah, because he's not getting, he's not playing that role if he gets a lot of the short catches and getting 10 to 15. Yeah, that's you know, what. Small, like, chip away at you. Yeah, if Cooks is your wide receiver too or your flex even, you've got a pretty good roster. Yeah. And I think in PPR, it makes sense that they're all kind of ranked around each other, though, the three of them. Yeah. You know, because they're all going to get targets. It's just a matter of which one's going to get the big plays. Well, and that's where that risk assessment comes in from earlier, where it's like, and, and and Cup and Cooks are right next to each other. But again, like we said before, Cup's coming off an injury. Right. Uh, Miles Sanders, the rookie running back, is the one rookie of the, the major three that I feel like is not getting a lot of love. Mm-hmm. And He's starting to, though, yeah. after this last game. Uh, well, because I, I saw the jump for uh, David Montgomery going. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like, I mean, it, it, I did see eventually that they would probably, because usually after the preseason, people catch on to the rookies. That's <coughs> right. why it's like if you draft before the preseason, you're usually like a, somebody who's very on the ball, but you're also taking the risk of guys getting injured in the preseason. But mm-hmm. it takes some actual like, all right, well, this guy doesn't play in the preseason. I have to worry about that. And there's also less and less veterans playing. Like this weekend, I think there were like three different teams that didn't even play any of their major players. And with, uh, with Miles Sanders, like now you're getting closer to the actual fantasy drafts. Now all the people who are like fans, and but they tune in probably in August to tune in, they're looking at it going, oh, who's this guy who just blew up a play that, you know, that is all in the, the Jumbotron. So with Miles Sanders, though, you know, he's running behind uh, Philadelphia's O-line. Now, I think it might come down to, you know, his rank will probably end up changing by the by the time people draft on yeah, Labor Day or by next weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but Miles Sanders, I mean, he's an athletic freak. He's running behind one of the best O-lines. He's got a good quarterback in Carson Wentz. I was always shocked when people were giving more love to David Montgomery than him. And I think it's because they keep on hearing people pay attention to the stuff that's coming out of training camp like oh you know we're not necessarily tied to playing him right away and i get that but he he's a whole different level of running back than anything else that philadelphia's had in a while probably since Lashawn mccoy was there so um but this is all right so he's gonna be this year's carry on johnson what i mean by that is everybody carry on looked great in preseason last year for the lions and everybody knew talent-wise he was probably the best running back on the team, but they were going to try to force the ball to Blunt, force the ball to Riddick, and it was going to eat away his targets. But it's like everyone kept saying, hold on to him because eventually he's going to win out. Sanders is competing for, for rushes and touches with Jordan Howard, yeah, who only a few years ago was a good running back in Chicago. Chicago was you know inclined to get rid of him because he did horrible in their offensive system that Philadelphia has the same exact fucking one. Like, it's the same <laughs> offense. George, I never like, understood the trade, but yeah. I think the key thing was it was for a sixth-round pick, and it was to kind of cover their ass because they didn't have that kind of player on the roster yet. Right. When they made the trade, it was before the draft. So it made it so that they didn't have to reach in the draft or people couldn't predict what they were going to do in a particular round, Yeah. which that's the point of free agency and trades is to go ahead and shore up your team before the draft, and then you get to go ahead and draft who you want at a particular spot. Right. And... Um, Jordan Howard, it, like he's gonna get a lot of touches early on, maybe some goal line work because mm-hmm. he can he can get through the tackles like that. <clears throat> but I say come by like week six or something like that. Sanders will have that job unless he fumbles the ball a lot like he did in college. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was always my big worry with Miles Sanders is the the risk of 
a fumbling, but also possibly pass protection. You know, you're coming into the NFL. A lot of rookies have problems with that. So that's also why it takes them sometimes some time to get onto the field. And carry on Johnson, I think could have been a league winner last year, but then he ended up getting injured towards the end of the, la- uh, the year and they shut him down. He won yeah. me a lot of weeks though. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, big, I'm a big carry on Johnson fan. No, I was just going to say real quick point. Good point about the fumbling. Cause coaches are, quick to put rookies in the doghouse if they fumble once oh, yeah. you know what i mean they'll shut them down for a couple of weeks after that and i've seen it over and over again so well matt jones on the redskins a few years ago yep. that was a that was a guy who was a second round pick similar situation really athletic was a freak of nature but he couldn't hang on to the ball for shit and they were mm-hmm. like well you're not playing this week we're gonna give it to chris thompson and some other dude we're gonna give it to rob kelly guy who we found off the street holding a backpack so I don't really like that's something that is a big issue with a lot. Now, granted, Andy Reid was it Kareem Hunt fumbled his first play in yeah. the NFL. Yeah, I don't know if he's fumbled since. Yeah, but he fumbled his first play, and they still played him that whole game. So Randy, there's some coaches who will right. stick with somebody, and that worked out for them. We know Andy Reid is kind of you know he does some unconventional stuff. He's pretty creative, and I think that he operates a little differently than most coaches, which makes him great in some respects, but. You know, you'll see a lot of the traditional coaches just won't forgive that, especially for a rookie running back. Yeah. You know, it's like you have other things working against you. The fact that you're already a rookie running back, God forbid, you're a later round pick. You know, they don't want any missteps like that. They can't have any mental errors. Well, and I think in Kareem Hunt's case, it was they had nobody else on the roster. Mm -hmm. And also, his history in college, he never fumbled. Right. And that's something that translates really well to the NFL. Guys who fumble a lot in college tend to fumble a lot in the NFL. Yeah. Guys who don't fumble and take care of the ball in college tend to keep doing that when they hit the NFL. Right. So it's it's a good way of gauging which rookies you really want to latch on to. That's why David Montgomery has some upside and some potential and but people have already seen him in the preseason do some spectacular things and now they're on him and uh jacobs has the most like solid opportunity at being a running back one yeah because of the situation in oakland yeah but um like if you want to spend because he's going in like the second round if you want to spend that on him go for it i'm not too yeah. inclined to do so i was on montgomery because he was going in the sixth round yeah, a while ago, but now he's moving up to fifth, late fourth. So I don't know about that. But out of all three of them, I would I would want Montgomery the most because he's going to be uh, most likely on the best team. I mean, it, it's, it's splitting hairs between them and Philly. But Sanders and Philly, like we said, he's a rookie. And all it takes is, you know, one mistake. That Not only that, but he's going to be fighting for touches much more potentially than montgomery is and then well we know montgomery's role that's the key thing and even though mike davis is there i think mike davis again was one of those situations we were talking about before where they they signed him to kind of cover their ass and then they drafted the guy Mm -hmm. so i think there's a i I kind of agree with you I, i especially for the value like josh jacobs going in the second third round area that's an expensive price. Yeah, that means you, brand new. you're taking him over a potential wide receiver one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if I would want to do that. Also, with him, Richie Incognito, their new left guard, is going to be out for a couple of weeks because he's suspended. Shocker. Uh, I think they also have somebody else coming off of an, another guard coming off of an injury. So the interior of that O-line isn't going to be as good. And they have a lot of rough matchups in the beginning. So that might be a guy who you pay attention to and maybe target for a trade down the line right. because his early season schedule is rough and, uh, you know, again, missing some offensive pieces. Also have to play two eight ru- two top eight rushing defenses twice a year in the Chargers and in the Broncos. So 
that's four games right there where it's going to be kind of tough. Just as a philosophy, I'm going to probably stay away from all the rookie running backs this year. But the, there is an upside with rookie running backs. They're the most likely ones to be guys who make that step into the top five echelon category. We saw mm-hmm. it with Kareem Hunt when he came into the league. We saw it with uh, Saquon Howard. Martin. Yeah, Jordan Howard, Saquon Barkley. So keeping a tab on rookie running backs a lot of the time. And there's actually a, a rookie who we're, when we're doing the um, – there's another rookie that hasn't been brought up yet who I'm going to bring up when we do the targets because he hasn't popped enough yet where I feel like I'm a, I'm worried about him. Now, in two weeks, he might end up being a top you know six or seven round pick. At running back? Yeah. Huh. So hmm. I think that wraps up this episode. Uh, if you want to check out the podcast, you can follow it at DraftVice on Twitter, at DraftVice underscore football on Instagram. You can follow Shane at the T-H-E-E underscore Shane underscore MCM on Instagram. Ricky, you, you, this is always happens I'm, every time. I'm dark. I go dark. Don't you, worry about it. You, you could send him a carrier pigeon. Yeah. You could try. You know, <laughs> send Paul Revere down the river, see if it gets to me. It might find him. And you follow me at Brojo Death Punch. It's B-R-O-J-O. Death is in the end of life. And punch. Yay. And uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, uh, subscribe, uh, rate, leave a review, preferably five stars. Just, uh, just a suggestion. And uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, like it, subscribe it, leave a comment. Maybe we'll read it. Maybe we'll read it on the air. We won't. We might. We absolutely can. We should. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I'm about to pass. I'm about to pass.